Amen. Welcome. So good to see you all this morning. Welcome our students back from Truett McConnell, Piedmont, and UNG. Good to have them back in the house representing all three schools today. Uh, those of you who don't know the history of our church, really our little young church, we just launched February 26th. This church was really birthed out of a college ministry, out of a college Bible study. And, and here we are now, and the Lord's doing great things. And Well, what great worship. Those lyrics were so powerful to me. I'm standing on his faithfulness, amen, because if it's mine, I ain't got much to stand on, amen, but we stand on his faithfulness, that is why we are here. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, if you go to Psalms and take a left, you'll find it there, it's not a book that, you know, you hear a whole lot about the book of Nehemiah, but how timely for us, Transformation Church family, to be in that book. The Christian church has been a cornerstone of American society for almost 250 years. But something has changed in the last 30, 40, 50 years, or really we can trace it back to when they kicked prayer out of public schools officially. But as long as there's exams in schools, there'll be prayer in schools, right? But officially kicked it out. Um, Americans are attending church less today than any time in our history. Millennials in particular are skeptical of anything organized, most especially the church. The church in America has largely lost our influence. And I'm saying the church in America because, thank God, it's not this way worldwide. Um, some won't darken the doors of our American churches because they've been before. They've been before, and what they encountered was dead, dull, lifeless worship and people who look like they've been baptized in vinegar and weaned on dill pickle juice, and they don't want any of that. And who blames them? I don't want any of that either. If that's Christianity, keep that away from me. But thank God we know it's not. Many have walked away from the church because their feelings have been hurt or their personal preferences have not been catered to. I can only imagine the martyrs as they're being fed to the lions, hearing talk like that. Well, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. I didn't like the color of the carpet. Somebody didn't speak to me. As they're being fed to the lions, they'd scratch their head and go, what in the world are you talking about? So sadly, Christianity is in decline in America to the point that one of the fastest-growing segments of the population in America are known as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, the nuns, no religious, no religious affiliation whatsoever. We are a church plant of the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So let's pick on ourselves. Southern Baptists, we are baptizing less people now that at any point in our history since the 1940s, are you listening to me? Since the nation of Israel was reformed, we baptized fewer people, and you look at the population explosion of America, and we're baptizing less people. I don't, I don't understand that. In the meantime, a whole lot of churches would rather squabble internally than to evangelize externally. God has called us to evangelize externally. Less than half of Americans now identify as Protestants. Only two out of ten people in the United States of America tell you that they attend church every week. I mean, I remember when I was young and, and new in ministry, I mean, you weren't even considered faithful if you didn't go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday or Tuesday night visitation. It was all of that. And now less than two out of ten say they go once a week. Eleven percent say they go once a month. Twenty-six percent of Americans say we go seldom, and 31 percent say we never go to church. What does that tell me? 
That tells me that the field is ripe unto harvest. They're looking for hope. Hope exists for us to go out there and reach them. 75% of Georgia Baptist churches, of which we are a part of, they're either plateaued or declining. They've either reached a point or they're shrinking. Churches in America every week are closing their doors. In fact, we'll talk about this after the sermon. We talked about a little bit last week. We're looking at a church property up in Lula that has been a lighthouse. I know people that were saved in that, in that church since 1894. They've been closed for two years. Why is that? Why did the church close two years ago? So today as we begin a verse-by-verse study through the book of Nehemiah, the theme is rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the walls. And I don't know that we've got a PowerPoint, and that's my fault. I send it to Pastor Matt. He puts it together. And this, I already gone to bed last night when he sent me a message and said, you never sent me the PowerPoint, your outline. And I said, yes, I did. And I looked and I sent it to his old email address. That's why he never got it. So that's on me that we don't have that today, but I'll try to make sure that you get it. So we're talking about the the broken down walls in America. We're talking about the broken down walls even in our own community. And as we look at property, we may literally be building some walls that are about to be broken down. The Old Testament book of Nehemiah is timely for us. I wish I could tell you we're smart enough to plan this. We planned our sermon series months ago. God knew that as we started this today, that we would be looking at launching out. We've been meeting this community center. God specifically led us here. Not a doubt in our mind, this is where we're supposed to be for such a time as this. And we've been here, and now the consensus is, God, give us a home. God, give us somewhere where we don't have to come in and set up and tear down. We can invite people to be. We can impact a neighborhood where cars go by, and there's a love for that place. Nehemiah faced a seemingly desperate situation. He lived in times of great distress, and many in America today would say the same thing in, in opinion polls. I would submit to you we live in the most difficult economy of my lifetime anyway. And here we are tasked with, you know, my wife reminded me driving to church. They were looking at property. We're talking about a building. She's like, and we don't have any money. We don't have any money to do that. But my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We just pray for God to have some people slaughter some cows, and let's make this possible to impact this community in a unique a church plant's unique. It's not for everybody. As we met a bunch of students at Truett McConnell yesterday, we just said, we're a church. We're one of the, there's great churches in this area, but we're unique in that we're a church plant. We're in our infancy. We're multicultural. We're multigenerational. Uh, we're bilingual. Come back next week. Pastor Roger will be preaching um, Nehemiah 2 and 3 in Spanish and in English. And he's in the back of the room right now translating for us. If we had a Hispanic brothers and sisters today, and I don't think we do, they're able to listen through an app on their phone and hear the message translated. Nehemiah lived in difficult times. We live in difficult times. It is easy to analyze, criticize, scrutinize, and strategize. But sometimes you just got to put feet to your prayers and do something about it. Gripers and complainers and armchair quarterbacks, Monday morning quarterbacks are all around us. God's called us to attack the darkness for Jesus. God's called us to attack the darkness. All the nuns out there, the people are disassociated from church. They've had their feelings hurt. I have too. How about you? You know, one sinner plus one sinner is double trouble. We are here to love a community and offer the hope of the gospel. Nehemiah saw a problem. And he was distressed about it. 
He didn't wallow in self-pity. He didn't just sit around and say, boy, things are awful. It's terrible. I can't believe. No, he left a responsible position in the Persian government. He got out of his comfort zone to go and to lead the Jewish people to rebuild the broken down walls. Walls are important. If a city had no walls, they had no defense. And so they had to build up the walls there. By the way, there's walls in heaven even. So it was an important concept. He left that position just like we all did. Most of us were in established churches. You know, I've been in established ministry for, for 30 years, full-time salary, middle Georgia. I had insurance. I had benefits. I had retirement. And here we are planning a church. Much like Nehemiah was called to get out of his comfort zone, you left established churches to come and be a part of this or to pray about being a part of this. So as the story starts to unfold here, Nehemiah's talking with some other Jewish people. He came in contact with and he said, hey, how are things going back home? How are things going back in Jerusalem? This is about 445 BC. This was the, the third return to Jerusalem of the, of the Jewish people who'd been in exile. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, and verse number one, by God's grace, we'll go through every verse of this book in coming weeks. Would you please stand and let's give honor and reverence to the reading of God's word. Why? Because God's word is absolute truth. It's not just a good book. It's God's revealed word. God's spoken, holy breathed word, true for all people, for all places and all times. Nehemiah 1.1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. I see words like that. It always makes me grin and laugh. Because once my dad got right with the Lord in his mid to late 40s, I had a brand new daddy. I, I had, grew up with the alcoholic, divorced parents. My daddy got radically saved. He started to teach in the student ministry at his little country church. They didn't have as many as we do here today back then. They're booming now, by the way. My daddy's with the Lord. But the young people say, Mr. Jimmy, how do you pronounce that name? And daddy said, I'll just make up something and tell them. Nobody knows how to really pronounce it. We weren't alive then. So we're going to say Hakaliah during the month of Kislev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress city of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived that exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province, those that survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Lord Jesus, as we live in difficult times, as we live in times of economic and political and other uncertainties, we're thankful, Lord, that our hope is not in our faithfulness, but in your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that, that my name is on the roll and I stand on the rock, Lord, that nothing will ever separate us from your love. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you have given us for this East Hall, Northeast Georgia community and beyond. Thank you for what you've called us to do. Thank you for what you've called us to be a part of. Thank you for these, your people, who left the comforts of organized churches to come out and do something out of the box, something unique, and something different. And, Lord, we know that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So just as it was when Nehemiah recorded these words, it's inspired for us today. So, Holy Spirit of God, teach us, equip us motivate and inspire us that we would honor and obey you based on the truths that you let us mine out of this chapter today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You can, you can be seated. I was reading today from the Christian Standard Bible. That's kind of the updated version of the old New American Standard. Sometimes people ask me what translation. And if you've been around me long, sometimes I just swap. Sometimes I'm in this translation. Sometimes I'm there. Uh, I just like the way they translate it better. Number one, write this down. God wants us to be honest about the situation. Nehemiah asked those Jews 
to be honest with what the situation was, and it was bad. They didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't pretend. They didn't say things are great. Come on with us. Without walls, the city stood in danger of being attacked. We've already looked at some statistics in our own country, in America. And those statistics, by the way, they, they bear out right here in Cole County. In the state of Georgia, 86% of people, at least 86%, are not in church anywhere today. You know, when I was growing up, Georgia was known as part of the Bible Belt. I'll submit to you there is no Bible Belt in the United States of America anymore when only two out of ten people go to church. And then some of the churches that we, we've looked at, you know, people leave over personal preferences. Let's just be honest. Some of those churches that close their doors, they ought to. They're man-centered social clubs. They're about man's agenda. They don't want to adapt. They want to reach future generations. They want to be us for and no more and do things the way they've always done. And that's fine, but the church is going to die. And the church is going to close their doors if we don't reach future generations. So we've largely abandoned our biblical roots in our nation. If you look at the founders, you know, the vast majority were active members of local churches. Noah Webster, who wrote the first dictionary, could literally quote the Bible, chapter and verse. These are the men who founded our nation. We were founded. You're going to learn this in government schools today. But we were founded on God's truth. But yet today we've abandoned that. Half of all kids in America today are raised in broken homes. I was one of those. What are statistics? Statistics are human beings with the tears wiped away. Those numbers have kids and people behind those. There are kids in Hall County, Georgia, that went to bed hungry last night because daddy went out and drank the money away or gambled the money away or spent money on lottery tickets or whatever. People of faith are mocked and persecuted. All of a sudden today in America, if you stand on God's word, if you say God's word says all life is precious from conception until natural death, you're intolerant. If you say marriage, God's intent for marriage is one man and one woman, you're intolerant. You're a bigot. You know, they call us all these names for standing on the truth of God's word. You know what I say? Bring it. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. People of faith are mocked and persecuted. And then lost people. You know, they hear churches fuss and fight. They hear about church split. Somebody said to me, I forget who, just last week, they referred to us as a church split. I said, stop right there. We're not a church split. We're not a church split at all. We're a brand new plant. We come from all different churches all around. We're a new church. We're a different church, but we're not a church split. Lots of people see that stuff, and they're not interested. And I wouldn't be either if I was lost, okay? We're, we're not to argue over personal preferences. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. If you want to get upset about something, let's get upset about whether or not we stand for the truth of God's Word. I read this just last week. I talked about our founders of our country. More liquor is consumed in Washington, D.C. than any other geographic area in the country. And these are people who are making decisions for the rest of us. The, my Bible says alcohol bites like a serpent. I don't just read that and believe it because God said it, but I've lived the extreme of that, and I got the scars to prove that. We got to be honest about the situation we're in, number one. Number two, God wants us to desperately seek his guidance. God wants to, us to desperately seek his guidance. Look at verse 4. Nehemiah heard it. He heard the honest assessment. And he said, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days. 
fasting and praying before the God of heavens. He went without food. I said, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. He saw the needs of the people we got to see the needs of Hall County and Northeast Georgia. We've said, oh, I'm not from here. My daughter-in-law is from here. But many of you who are from here testify that East Hall County has always felt like the redheaded stepchild of Hall County. If you want to see a visual picture of that, walk this community center, go up to North Hall, and walk that community center. You'll just see where the resources are. So we felt specifically called to this part where there's so many needs. My daughter-in-law teaches at Tadmore Elementary School. Over 95% of her classes every year are Hispanic. So when God called us to plan a church, we said, we need to be bilingual if we're going to touch this community. So we're prepared to be bilingual to reach people. You know, I said in our very first initial prayer meeting, Kind of looked like we look today, by the way. If you're here for the first time, we normally have Hispanic people, African-American. We've got a family of African-American family of 10 who are not with us today. But I said at that prayer meeting, if one year from now we look like this room, like we look today, quite frankly, we have failed. But God has blessed us and allowed us to reach people of different cultures and ethnicities. You know why that's important? Because they're going to be in heaven with us. Amen. If we, can't, if we can't worship and love each other no matter what our skin tone is or what our language is here, you're not going to enjoy heaven I'd say you might not even be going there if you can't love all the people that God created. Amen. Nehemiah saw the needs of the people, and he felt it. He felt empathy for them. You know, it's one thing to say, I see it, but we got to empathize with people. You know, when, when you are a pastor and you're on social media, my wife can tell you, I spend a lot of time ministering to people on social media that I've never met before. But they learn you're a pastor, so they have questions. You know, I had a guy yesterday start to tell me about the abuse that he endured as a child. You know, I come from a broken home. My daddy drank, but I, I, I don't understand that. By God's grace, I never experienced that kind of abuse. But I can empathize with him. I can pray for him. I can share the truth. Nehemiah empathized. We've got to empathize with people in Hall County in northeast Georgia, whether or not we've walked in their shoes or not. Because here's the reality. But for the grace of God, that's me. But for the grace of God, that's you. So he felt the needs. He went to God about the needs. He empathized. And then he determined, I'm going to do something about it. We're going to do something about it. We're not just going to talk about how bad things are in our country. We are called to attack the darkness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing of eternal significance, I heard Dr. Charles Stanley say years ago, is ever accomplished apart from prayer. And Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah knew he had to pray and fast. If we are going to experience genuine, heaven-sent, Holy Ghost revival, if we are going to be able to touch this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to be desperate in prayer because we're messed up people. I don't mean to insult you, but that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you feel like your life is messed up, you've come to the right place. That's all of us apart from Jesus. If you take Jesus out of me, I'm not worth the bullet. It would cost you to put a brain, pull a bullet, a bullet in my brain if you tried to do that. So he, he went to the Lord. He was desperate in prayer. Our marching orders. Somebody recently said, I, I'm, I don't even know what, where are we going as a church. What's our, what's, what's our strategy? What's our mission? It's the same thing has been since day one, to take Jesus to the darkness, to impact this community in a multi-generational, multicultural, bilingual church here in East Hall. Nehemiah gives you and I a good model for prayer. People say, well, I, I would pray, but I don't know how to pray. 
If you can have a conversation with me, you can have a conversation with God. I think we overcomplicate things sometimes. But Nehemiah gave us a good model. Look at verse 5. He said, I said, Lord, the God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. He started off in praise. He's praising God for who he is. We should begin our personal time of prayer with praising God for who he is. He is worthy of all praise. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his mercy. Great is his justice great as his love we start off in praise and don't just jump up in his lap like santa claus and start telling him what we want and he says we have not because we ask not it's okay to ask but let's start off nehemiah gave us the example to start off in adoration and praise and after that after he praised god he moved to a, t- a time of confession look at verse six i confess the sins we've committed against you both i and my father's family have sinned We've acted corruptly towards you, and we've not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. Well, none of us have lived a perfect life. There's not a person in here or on planet Earth who doesn't struggle with sin. We all do. If we didn't struggle with sin, we wouldn't need a Savior. But because we struggle with sin, that's why Jesus went to the cross to redeem messed up folks like me and like you. Is there anybody on planet Earth today that you need to get forgiveness and restoration with? Anybody that you're at odds against? I can't make somebody forgive me. I can't make somebody like me. I had another pastor in town last week. He said, Mike, it may shock you. You know some people that don't like you? I said, brother, I can give you a long list of those. That doesn't shock me in the least. It comes with the turf. When you preach God's truth, people are not going to like that. But I want them to not like me because of the sake I stand on the truth, not because I'm a jerk, not because I did something to sin against them. But if I have, I need to make that right. You need to make that right. As we come to the threshold of making some gigantic decisions that are beyond anything you and I can do, we got to make sure that our sins are confessed up when we pray. If we expect God to show us his unrevealed will, Like, do you want us to build? Do you want us to buy this property? Do you want us to go elsewhere? God's not going to show us that if we're not already doing his revealed will. I got to do what I know he wants me to do. The Ten Commandments, the very specific things in Scripture. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to witness. I'm supposed to tithe. I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm supposed to do all those things. And if I don't, he's not obligated to show me his unrevealed will, like what property or where do we build. We got to all collectively make sure that our sins are confessed up. And then verse verse 8, Nehemiah says, Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you were unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. And that's exactly what happened. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, God says, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They're your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and your strong hand. There's so many promises of God in Scripture that are conditional. You know, math was not my thing in college. I mean, I can add and subtract and do all that. When it got to algebra and calculus, my mind was blown. I'm at University of Georgia. What's the easiest math class I can take? And they told me it was, um, I'm even drawing a blank what it was called. It wasn't statistics, but it was like if-then statements. That was one of them. If-then is true if that's true, then this must be true. God says in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, it's a formula for revival for a nation. If my people, we're not blaming Republicans, Democrats, lost people. God says if my people who are called by my name will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, that's the if. God says then I'll hear from heaven. 
I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. I'll heal their land. That's the formula for revival in America. It's a formula for revival in a church. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he knows them anyway. You ain't hiding nothing from God. You may hide it from other people. He already knows. He wants me to humble myself and confess. If I do that, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus doesn't care what you've done before, how you've rebelled or slammed the door. You just need to pray to him, and instantly he will restore you based on that promise of God's word. Verse 9 is a conditional promise. Let's claim the promises of God's word. Let's live out the promises of God's word. As we talked about all the negative stuff in the beginning, let's never forget Jesus Christ said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's going to build his church. I just want to get in on God's plan and what he wants us to do here. I can't claim the promises of God if I don't know the promises of God. I'm not going to know the promises of God if I don't read the promises of God. You know, I'm bivocational. I work for Nabisco, and we had a full-time person quit. I'm part-time. So I had a nine-hour work day the other day, and we're supposed to have had dinner with our grandson, which didn't work out, but I'm like, my first delivery's in Dawsonville at 4 o'clock. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to get there. Not at 4, but I got there by 6. You know what that meant? I set my alarm clock for 3.30. You said, Dawsonville isn't that far. No, Dawsonville's not that far. But the most important thing I do every day of my life is to read the Word of God and to pray. My personal devotion time. This preaching is not the most important thing I do. Going out and doing my job, the most important thing I do is just me and God. Because if me and God aren't right, I'm not going to be right with you or anybody else. Whatever it takes, if it's 3.30 in the morning, you got to get up and read the Word of God to know the promises of God so you can appropriate those in your life. So as we pray, you know, wait on God. Prayer will do three things. Write this down. Letter A, prayer clears our vision. Prayer clears our vision. Those of you who've known me more than 10 minutes know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm fired up. I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I'm all in. But when we stop and we pray, it clears our vision. When Pastor Matt and Katrina and Gracie, I went and looked at that piece of property last Friday, I was all in. I was just ready to jump all in, but the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. We'll talk about that at, later on after the sermon here. So uh, prayer clears our vision. God, we know you've called us to this community, so that limits us in real estate. We're not looking outside of East Hall. Within the providence of God, more of our growth is coming from north of here, uh, people north of here, not south of here, uh, closer to Piedmont, closer to Truett. It would be great if we could get some property north of here as we pray about that. God clears our vision. Letter B, prayer quiets our heart. Prayer quiets our heart, and it eliminates worry. You know, because after we looked at that building Wednesday, I'm like, God, Mike, you've done it again. You got all excited. You put pictures of that church on Facebook, and you're ready to go get it, and we got some stuff we got to address here. So I'm a little bit embarrassed, okay, that I put it out there. I mean, I didn't say we're going to get it, but I'm excited. I'm gung-ho about it. But when I stop and when I pray, why did we meet out there Wednesday? It was a prayer walk. We prayed. We walked. And a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Some of the men saw some things. I don't have sense enough to say I'm not a builder. I don't know anything about construction. But God showed us some things. Prayer quiets our heart and eliminates worry. It's like, God, we're leaning on you, okay? We'll do this, set up, tear down, be here, compete with basketball tournaments as long as you want us to. I'm not going to worry about it. But we think you're moving us to do this. So as we lean on you and we pray to you, if you close that door, it means you got a better door for us. Amen. Prayer eliminates worry. And then the third thing, let her see, prayer activates our faith. Prayer activates our faith as we pray and we collectively get the will of God together. Then we know how to act. So as we set out to 
maybe rebuild some broken down walls or a near broken down roof and a broken down foundation of another church. We, we, we got to pray. We've got to be people of prayer. We ought to work like everything depends on us, but we pray knowing everything depends on God, right? He expects us to do our part. That's why he's given us his word. He's in control of everything, but we got to be faithful. We must be people of prayer. The main theme here of chapter 1 is prayer, total dependence on the Lord, getting God's vision. Come back next week when Pastor Roger preaches, and you'll see how they started to act and respond to they prayed. So while I can't touch every need in Hall County, we can touch some families. We're able to reach Desiree's family that's not here today. Brent and Cagney's family and those three beautiful children of theirs. We can't meet everyone. We can touch some needs as we pray and we make ourselves available. You know something I've noticed? I mean, I've been in ministry for 30 years. I thought about this. People that complain the most, at least public, I can't speak to their private life. People who complain the most pray the least. Am I right about this, Katrina? We can have a fellowship. We can have a dinner. Everybody's excited. Everybody comes. We're going to have a prayer meeting. And in most churches, you get a handful of people at, at best. I mean, I think of trying to be generic here. One, one church in particular, I was warned about this couple and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to want to get to know people and make my own opinions. I'm telling you, Mike, they run the place. They'll run you off and complained about everything. One of my last meetings with this couple, the lady had four, four, I'm not kidding, Four pages, single space of notes of things she didn't like and things that we ought to be doing, but never came to one prayer meeting. If we're not willing to pray, we ought not to work. We don't need to do anything until we pray and get the mind of God. People might not ever come to a prayer meeting, but we're going to keep praying. We're going to be faithful. And listen, I'm going to tell you, this right here is worth the price of admission. We got to pray bold prayers, expecting bold results, and that will build bold unity in a church. Did you hear what I'm talking about? We pray bold prayers. God, we're praying for you to give us a home. People say, you ain't got no money. You got to raise all this. Hey, when we started this church, we were told off the bat we had to raise 200 and something thousand dollars. We didn't have squat. God allowed us not to raise $200,000, but God allowed us to be good stewards. Pastor Matt found some used equipment and stuff, and so God raised about $130,000. We're just normal, ordinary people. So when we pray and seek the Lord, if he's telling us to move, it's not my problem. It's his. I got to be faithful as the lead. I got to get out there, and I got to raise the money, but I can't do this by myself. You got to help me. You know, if we put in a bid on this property, we'll decide that later on. Don't just sit back and look at me and expect the preacher to go out and raise however many hundreds of thousands of dollars here. We got to work on that together. It's going to take all of us. Not, none of us here are rich people, but we know people. We know, other, we know other churches that we can ask to be a part of this. And then number three, God wants us to move out of our comfort zone. We got to pray bold prayers, expect bold results. That brings bold unity. And number three, we got to get out of our comfort zones. Y'all don't have a problem that you've already done that. By being here in this gym today, you've gotten out of your comfort zone. You didn't go to a church that you could have a Sunday school class before this. You've come to a church plant where we don't have all the bells and whistles. So you've done that, but I think it's time to get even out of this comfort zone. Look at, look at verse 11. Nehemiah is praying, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. Talking about the king. At that time, I was the king's cupbearer. He was the king's cupbearer. He was in a position of prominence and authority. He worked face-to-face -face with the king every day. He tested the king's food to make sure he wasn't going to be poisoned. And God says, I want you to go to the king, the man that can throw you in jail, the man who can kill you and say, I'm going to leave. 
I need to go leave, and I need to lead some people in a construction project. He could have thrown him in prison or killed him, but Nehemiah listened as he prayed, as he wept, as he fasted. God said, this is what you're supposed to do, and Nehemiah trusted God to do that. It's going to take all of us pulling together and praying together to achieve God-sized goals. Come back next week and see how all the people pitched in together. Christianity is not a spectator sport, and church planting is certainly not a spectator sport. It takes all of us working together. If God didn't expect you to do something, he wouldn't have given you spiritual gifts. At the moment of your salvation, God blessed you with spiritual gifts. Now, when I got saved at 15, I didn't know what a spiritual gift was. I never heard of that. Nobody ever taught me that. So I had to be discipled. I had to grow. Okay, I got some gifts. I mean, how do I unwrap these gifts? How do I? I didn't know. But you have spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the building blocks, the toolbox of doing ministry. And your gifts are different than my gifts, and my gifts are different than your gifts. But all together... T-E-A-M, together, everyone accomplishes more. So if God gave you gifts, they're not to sit in a chair and just watch something happen. God gave you gifts to be used for his glory. So it's time to, to jump in. And, and here's what's happened in America today. A lot of people, not a lot, only two out of ten are going to church. And of the two out of ten, how many of those are Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches? And how many of those are cults? I mean, that doesn't mean these people are saved. Just two out of ten go to church. Fewer are saved. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus said, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So going to church don't make you a Christian any more than camping out at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. I don't, you don't see somebody's heart, okay? So there's, there's fewer. Narrow is the way that leads to life, he said, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And COVID, it just, it just messed us up in a lot of ways, right? We didn't know what to believe. Now we know we have a government that lied to us over and over and over again and still lied to us. And we shut down our churches and we worship from home. And I stood in front of a camera and I would say, thank you for worshiping with us online. That was stupid. That was just dumb. And so preachers, we perpetuated it. We said, you're worshiping online. Thank you. So now people think, man, I like going to church in my pajamas. I like drinking my coffee and petting the cat and not having to get up and go somewhere. Preachers like me inadvertently be perpetuated that when clearly the standard is God's word. Hebrews 10, 25 says we don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Watching a church online and expecting to get a whole lot out of it is like watching a video of a fireplace and expecting to get warm. you got to come together. we got to put our charcoals and our embers together. I'm preaching to the choir because you're here and you do that. So some people kind of date the church. They'll date this one and they'll date that one. And I encourage the Truett students we met yesterday. They're new. There's great church. I said, visit all of them. We don't pretend to be the church for everybody. So that's okay. But, you know, after a while, we've got to stop dating. We've got to make a commitment, okay? You've got to feel like this is where God's called me. And usually God makes that very clear to us. Isn't it time to just jump in and experience the full joy of fulfilling the great commission and the greatest commandment together? Had everybody in Nehemiah 3 that we'll look at not next week not participated, not done their part, those walls might still be broken down today. I don't know. It certainly wouldn't have been done that quickly. Everybody who attends Transformation Church, you ought to be able to tell people, hey, this is my ministry. This is what I do at my church. So they know that you are active and you're participating. If it were not the will of God for every believer to serve him, we wouldn't have given you those spiritual gifts. It's time to get on board. It's time to let's pray together. Let's seek the face of God. Collectively, I, th I would say we have, we have voted on this, but I think it's pretty unanimous. Everybody I talk to in a church this size, you can talk to everybody. We're ready for a home. We're ready to trust God to do big. So we're praying those bold prayers. We're expecting bold results, and God's going to build bold unity throughout all of that. His glory is on the line.
His reputation. It's not about us. His glory is on the line. God called this group of you. We're pioneers. We're trailblazing, doing something. Jojo Thomas, our director of missions, no church has ever successfully done what we're asking God to let us do. No church in this area has ever successfully had a together bilingual church like we're asking God to let us do. So we're pioneers. We're trailblazers, asking God to do a new thing here. So let's boil it in. Number one, do you love what God loves? Do you love what God loves? You can't love him without loving what he loves. You can't say, I love God, but I hate his church. That's like saying, you know, Mike, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife. It's usually the other way around. They like her and don't like me. The church is the bride of Christ. Okay, if you don't like the church, you don't, you don't like him. we got to love what God loves. And I think we, we began, before we ever officially launched, we studied the New Testament book of Acts. It was all about growing and branching out and church planting. Number two, are you certain of your relationship with him? Are you certain of your relationship with him? Because that's really, at the end of the day, it's all that matters. 10,000 years from today, it doesn't matter where your church membership was. It doesn't matter what your gift was. Do you know Jesus? Are you absolutely certain? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, it's towards the end of the book of 1 John. It says, these things have I written. What things? 1 John 1 through 5. These things have I written, and he's writing to religious people, that you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that God wants you to, to know that. And when you know that, then you want to serve him. You want to know his will and dream big dreams for God. Are you certain of your relationship with him? Jesus died on that old rugged cross. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he came crashing out to guarantee that he purchased our salvation. He is alive and well today. No matter how bad things get outside these doors, we know who's in control. I've read the last chapter of Revelation, and I know that we're going to win. Number three, you commit to join in and serve the Lord with and through his church. You commit to serve the Lord with and through his church. We've got to do our part. But Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We started out with all the negative statistics, all the bleak picture in American church life today. But I want you to know, God has always had a people. God's always had a remnant. Many a foolish conqueror has thought that he made the, he made the mistake of thinking that because he forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground, but the purest water is that comes bursting forth into the sunlight, crystal clear and pure after fighting through the rock because God has always had a people. Men who could not be bought and women who were beyond purchase, God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive. Does that sound like today, the social gospel? Neatly organized and financially profitable, but God has always had a people. Yes, the church has been gold-plated, dressed in purple, and encrusted with jewels. It's been misrepresented, lauded, and scorned, but God has always had a people. Through it all, as time marches on the powerful army of the meek God's chosen people who cannot be bought bartered silenced or still on through the ages the church marches we're a part of that we're a part of God's church triumphant listen child of God it's alive listen discouraged student it's his church and he is alive lonely missionaries out on the sea on the field sowing those seeds wondering will they ever see any fruit it's his church and he's alive and well older saints you're not alone or forgotten it's his church and he's alive it's alive my broken heart 
brokenhearted friend, single mom who may be listening later on the World Wide Web. It's his church, and he is alive. Busy mothers keep trusting in Jesus. The church is alive. Faithful fathers, let's rest in the Lord. Keep looking to Jesus because the church is alive. So family of God, let's raise our hands and praise the Lord God's church. The church triumphant is alive and well, and we're just blessed to be a small speck in the big picture of what God's doing through his church. Are you ready? Are we ready to march forward? Do you know Jesus? Are you sure of your salvation? Are you ready to pray bold prayers and see God do bold things and bring bold unity in a community because people are looking for it? I mean, last week I'm in a meeting with preachers. I walk in. They're drinking coffee. They're telling me about a church. I just ran off the youth pastor, and so the secretary got mad and quit too. Just this week, it happened. That's what the lost people, that's what the lost world hears. Don't we need a church in Hall County that's completely unified, that loves each other and loves the Lord, and we're not going to allow schisms, we're not going to allow yang-yang, we might disagree on stuff, we may disagree, and that's okay. You know, it's okay. I mean, I was ready to go, let's go get that building, and then I listened to the multitude of counselors later on. We'll talk about that in a minute. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that your church is alive and well. Thank you that Jesus loved us so much. He laid down his life for his bride, the bride of Christ, your church. So, God, I want to love what you love. I thank you for the church. God, I thank you for young people in a church who looked at a nobody like me, and they loved me. They showed me. the. They didn't just tell me the gospel. They showed me the gospel. God, thank you for that little church in my hometown that loved young people and invested in my life. And because of that, I'm saved today. God, I thank you that same little church has invested in Transformation Church, and they've given money to help us be where we are today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the church triumphant is alive and well. I pray for anyone here today or anyone listening later on the World Wide Web that's unsure of their relationship with you. I'm so thankful that your word says you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Thank you that he was my substitute. He's perfect, and I'm not. Thank you that he died in my place anyway. Thank you that they laid him and that tomb, that borrowed tomb from Joseph, because he didn't need it for long, knowing he was going to crash out of it three days later. And I'm so thankful that your word is very clear and specific. If we, if we admit that, if we turn to you, we turn from our sins and embrace the cross, we don't have to know, like I didn't know what spiritual gifts were. I'd never heard of the inerrancy of Scripture. I just knew I was lost, and I was hopeless, and I needed a Savior. Help us to be that light to this part of northeast Georgia and beyond. Lord, if there's anyone here today unsure of their relationship with you, may today be the day that they call on the name of the Lord. You said whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, for those who've been looking around, they've been seeking your will, and you said it's time, it's time for you to just join up and be an official part of the transformation family. God, if there are those praying about that and you've spoken to them, may they come today and say, we want to be a part of this church in membership. So that as we press ahead and make decisions that legally... Only members can vote on God. Help us to be a part of what you've called us to do and to do everything decently and in order. There, there may be those here today or listening online that they didn't hear a whole lot of what I said because they're hurting. They're carrying deep hurts, and they're just looking for hope. God, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you'd breathe hope into hearts that don't have any right now. May they feel your nearness, your presence, and experience your sufficiency. Lord, if there are those who just need to kneel on their chair or come down and kneel and pray here. We don't have a, a built altar, but God, anywhere we meet with you, that's an altar. Help us to respond in obedience today and help us to trust you to do way more than a small group of folks like us can do. 
because you're worthy. And the things we pray, the things we ask, we do it to bring great honor and great glory to you because we know the chief end of man is to bring you glory. That's why we're here. Help us to walk in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.